Hello, welcome to the sixth episode of the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm here with Todd. I'm Jason. All right, Jason. So I think this week we want to start off talking a little bit about our, our recent races, and I think we also are going to talk about um, ergogenic aids a little bit here. Yeah. So um, just quickly, uh, Todd, you wanted to mention your bike race recently. Yeah. So first race back for me in almost a year uh, since I had the baby. So a little bit different now thinking about things. And, and just like we talked about the uh, long-term athlete development, I think I'm back into a little bit different phase now, <laughs> training to train. And what does that mean when you have a baby and different responsibilities? So kind of got out there at the CR Classic this past weekend. Uh, and we could we could spend a whole episode breaking down, uh, breaking down races. Certainly didn't embarrass myself, I'll say that much. Cool. Uh, top, this was a mountain bike race? Yeah, mountain bike cross country. Uh, so, you know, top 20 definitely will take that for the first time back out there and in a big race and people from different countries showing up, several former national champions in the field. So it was a, it was a tough field. Um, yeah, happy, happy with how I did given where I'm at with my training at this point in the game and excited to get back out into racing and to, to give it a go and, and see what happens now. Cool. Um, what about you, Jason? What's... Yeah, for me, uh, just a... Fancy announcement that I got 11th uh, at GC at Chico in the P1 field, and so to get 11th in my first uh, pro stage race is like pretty exciting. Uh, my goal was a top 10, so here I am sitting at 11th. <laughs> yeah. Just about that much. <laughs> who's who's uh you know front wheel can I uh, chop in the crit to try and get get another position? Um, but actually, um, one guy did actually crash out and I gained a spot, so like. That's actually a bad thing. I, I feel really bad about it. But um, yes, like it was kind of an unrealistic goal. And then, you know, to get within one place of it is um, pretty exciting. It's that whole study. I mean, this is like a famous study, right? Like who's, who's happier on a medal stand at the Olympics? The person that won, of course, they're pretty mm-hmm. stoked. But then the person that's silver is a little bummed because they missed out on gold. The person yeah. that got bronze is also stoked because like they got on the medal stand. Yeah, like you get to actually take something home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know the position was like nobody else cares at all, but I'm you know very happy myself. So that was a, a recent race, and then in terms of another just interesting short thing is that my teammate just asked on our uh, group messaging, um, hey my you know my sports drink has beta alanine in it, and I don't know if it's in my head or not, but when I take it, it feels like my intervals are a little easier, you know especially VO2 max intervals, which is what beta alanine is supposed to help with. And uh, he was like, do you guys think it's in my head or do you think it actually helps? And I just messaged, it, it doesn't matter, actually. Uh, and that's from Todd, uh, a previous conversation we had. I'm sure you can explain it a little better. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the, well, I mean, big, big picture, right? If you look at all the ergogenic aids, and there's only a handful that work. I think beta alanine right now is on the fence as far as the okay. evidence, right? Caffeine certainly in the good and creatine is in the good as far as like, yep, we know this works. Um, but if you look at all the stuff out there, the gain is around 2%-ish, and it's not additive, right? Like if you, you know, had coffee and beta alanine and, you know, beetroot juice and, and, and all these other things, you don't get 2% with each of them. Like they've done yeah. studies on You don't get 8, 10, 12. <laughs> right, you get 2%. So to some point, right, I said, well, yes, there's some physiologic factor happening, but there must also be some psychology happening right you don't want to push yourself that much harder and then yeah. they've done the other studies where they uh, put you on the the herb and then they simulate you they tell you it's you but it's actually you going about two percent faster and miraculously keep up with yourself 
Okay. All right, so you do time trial, and then they come back a separate time and say, okay, here's your time trial performance from last time, mm -hmm. except they don't tell you that they actually cranked it up 2%, and somehow you keep up, right? Like, mm -hmm. So how does that with, happen? With this ghost. Yeah. Um, that's a, that you were told it was you. Wow, I didn't even, I didn't know that one. That's pretty so, cool as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, at the end of the day, right, whether it's in his head or it's not, if he's putting out those lots and he's able to do those intervals, I think he's getting the benefit from the work. And I think we agree at the end of the day, putting in the work and doing the intervals is actually what's going to change his race performance down Yeah, road. it's it's really like if it helped you get the intervals done, it helped you get the intervals done. Yep. You know, the only uh, thing about that is if it's something like ibuprofen that – uh, you know, it helps you get the intervals done, but it doesn't elicit the same fatigue for you to um, bounce back from. Then sure. that would be the only thing that wouldn't have this effect. But if you have some weird voodoo ritual food that you do beforehand, do it if, it if you think it makes you faster. Because, you know, thinking you're faster is the same thing as being faster. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that belief in it, and you talked about this, right, at one time when you say, okay, well, I have to show up at the start line and believe I got a chance to win. And I got to race yeah. whatever course I have today, whether it's hilly, it's flat, whether I train for climbs or I train for a flat race, it doesn't matter. I need to show up and, and race the race. And I think that, that's a piece of it too, right? If you're, if you're stoked to go out there and do your intervals that day, then it doesn't matter what you drink, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And if you're not stoked to go out there and do your intervals and having some special sports drink changes that, changes your mind, mm -hmm. then awesome. Like, for keep drinking that drink. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we have actually two topics that um, the the backstory on this is I, I emailed Todd and said I want to talk about why track racing is good for road racing. I'm a road racer. I raced track in college at um, I, I did a a couple of UCI races and uh, he replied back. Well, I want to talk about why mountain bike. Uh, riding and racing is good for development. I assume that's for road racers or just uh, development as a rider in general. I think development as a rider in general, and we can, you know, I think we can point to examples, right, of either track riders or mountain bike riders having success at the highest level, right? Like Cadell yeah. Evans, that comes from a mountain bike background, mm -hmm. grand sprinter. Taylor Finney, I think, is a, a classic example of a, Yeah, basically know, all of a D unit quick step yep. is a track rider. Or uh, Wiggins. Yeah, right, as a track rider that converted and, and had success at the highest level. So I think the, the examples are there for each. Mm -hmm. So I think we just have to be careful not to have a devolve into a debate of which which one's actually better for your, your performance. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they both, just from my perspective, uh, have a very limited track experience, but I think they both have their benefits to you know, making yep. a better rider as well. And I think when you start to look at professional riders more closely, you see how they take from their background. But any any one of them can win. It's just you see, oh, he, he definitely got that from mountain biking. Or mm -hmm. he definitely, that's such a track move to do. Um, and, and it's just how they scrape out their own piece of the pie uh, within the peloton. So um, whatever you choose to learn, whatever is exciting to you, I'm sure you can use it to help help you achieve your goals, um, either as a track rider or mountain bike rider. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure you can make the argument going many different directions, right? From here, this is a benefit from road riding, and I can think of my own from going from being doing road racing or riding in road groups that apply across to mountain bike, or going from a, a track to mountain bike, or um, cyclocross is kind of an obvious one for mountain bike skills to apply. Yeah. So I think we can probably draw those arrows bi-directionally for each relationship between mm -hmm. different disciplines. And that's why um, I don't think it was explicitly stated in the long-term athlete development, but um, 
I think two or three coaches that I've talked to have said you need to be trying multiple disciplines in your first three years or so. Um, not just because you can learn stuff from other disciplines, but just to make sure you're in the right discipline. Mm -hmm. I know, um, who was the, the cyclocross uh, national champion? Uh, Powers. Right? Yeah, Powers. Powers uh, he like started as a road racer, but he like had, had like patience and concentration issues. So he tried cyclocross and was like, oh, I just go full gas for an hour. And, uh, you know, it clicked for him. Yeah, I think there's certainly a, a natural fit between like the style of the rider and the skill requirement of the different disciplines where you can start to see, like, oh, yeah, this is a match. Yeah. Like, like uh, the one that's kind of interesting to me, but you you would not connect the two dots, is BMX and track. So the power requirement of BMX. Okay. You know, like, incredible, like, standing start with BMX and yeah. like, a sprint for track. Like, those two are kind of, those two are, like, very different. These guys are, like, flying through the air and, you know, but... <laughs> The, the power pounds are very similar. Yeah, and, and I'm sure like uh, overall efficiency and uh, riding close to others and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, exactly. So you want to go first or you want me to go first? I feel like we should just throw out some categories and then we can each explain like why, where, oh. where this helps, right? Okay. So like a big, I think a broad category can be like pedal stroke, right? And pedaling, pedaling technique if you wanted to. Okay. And like how, how do each of these help? So I'll, I'll take mountain biking first and why, why it applies across the road ride training mm -hmm. and then let you talk about how track works. Um, so I think mountain biking, your pedaling technique becomes very important because smooth, smooth pedaling means smooth power transfer. And on a, on a road or on a, on a smooth trail, well, you can be a little jerky, you can be uneven, and you don't lose traction, so it's not a problem. When you start to get on, on loose gravel or on a more technical trail where you have unevenness, rocks, roots, if it's muddy, for example, you need to have a very even distribution of power throughout the pedal stroke, and that power needs to be uh, delivered consistently. If you don't get consistent power output, then your wheel starts to slip, and then you're not going anywhere fast. And you know, yeah, it's, so... it's frustrating as heck as a rider, because you're like, I'm just like, I'm not going anywhere, it's fun, I'm hiking. Uh, but then, you know, as a racer, then it's like devastating, right? Because now you're off your bike and everybody else is riding. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the consistency that you have to develop in like smooth, supple pedal stroke. So the, um, the, like an, the impulse of someone with a down, a heavy downstroke, uh, that's just going to slip. And yep. so you need to have this sort of like even all the way around. And does that directly, you know, do road riders who have a more even pedal stroke, or do they tend to be more successful or? I, I mean, I just think from an efficiency standpoint, right, you're not okay. wasting energy. If you're all down, then your other leg is just getting pushed up. Which is yeah, not, so you want to maximize the use of your muscles throughout, throughout the, the pedal stroke. Yeah, exactly. okay. And I think also when you think about that, right, if you're going to accelerate, you don't want to only be applying power in one part of the pedal stroke. You want to be Yeah, well, because it's force times time is the... Um, is power so yep. you know you want it, you want that force number to be as high as possible for as, as much long, of the time as long as yeah. exactly so i think that's a probably a key element to from like taking a mountain bike and if you this is i don't think this is something that you necessarily consciously practice as a mountain bike rider right like you you figure you, it out you, you, you learn it almost <laughs> like subconsciously like okay that didn't work on that hill what did i do wrong right why did i slip and then you start to I, develop that skill. I haven't mountain biked too many times, but I know on climbs when I get frustrated, not like frustrated, but like, oh crap, I need to just power through this. And then and you just sort of smash the pedals and, and it, you end up just churning. Mm -hmm. um, so. 
yeah, <laughs> maybe I, mean, I have some learning to do as well. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, one of these things there, it's almost like subconscious. Like when you when you feel it, and you're like, oh yeah, this is this is the right thing to do. And I think only retrospectively do you recognize like, oh yeah, that's because the pedaling is a smooth action versus yeah, versus and not. I wonder like uh, one thing with track cycling is you see a lot of like Kieran riders, especially because it's like three laps is just that distance that sucks, like 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see them really thrashing, you know, elbows flapping and, uh, you know, sort of moving all over the place. And I think that mountain bikers, when you see them really working hard, they're just focusing on just being really stiff overall, mm-hmm. like, you know, strong core, strong upper body, and really just having a really solid pedal stroke. Track riders are just like, ah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, just every, everything, right? Yeah. All. Just uh, how do I, you know, squeeze out as much out of here? Um, and that's because they don't have, uh, you know, pedal stroke demands in the same way. Yeah, and I think also, again, depending on this one, but if your race is that short, you need every ounce, right? Whereas, yeah. like, a 90-minute UCI distance mountain bike race, you know, like, yes, you do need every every ounce matters, but there's, there's places to make up, right? Like, it's not... Yeah every single pedal stroke and well you know longer races it's also um like a race like that it's it's what's the fastest right. not what's the most kilojoules yep. um if you can do the same effort with less kilojoules you should probably do that Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so in terms of track cycling pedal stroke stuff the i'm i'm maybe a little different than i'm divergent from uh, normal thinking in that most people say oh you learn a good an efficient pedal stroke and the main argument for that is that you have to pedal at a high cadence. Uh-huh. Um, so you learn how to pedal at a high cadence on your track bike. Um, I can tell you firsthand, that's not true. Uh, I can do 110 for a while on the track bike, can't do 110 for a while on the road bike. And I think that's because track cycling actually lets you get away with a bad pedal stroke because the chain will throw you over the top no matter what. Yep. Um, yeah. So because your, your pedals are fixed to your rear wheel, yep. You can hide these um, inefficiencies. Those pedals have to go around, right? Yeah. And um, so you don't have to have a great pedal stroke. You can just have like a crazy downstroke and it'll it'll make up six o'clock and 12 Mm -hmm. o'clock. And so I, I don't really think that your pedal stroke necessarily improves in that respect. But I think that a big thing is that you learn that you don't always have to shift. Um, at different speeds on a track bike, you obviously have to pedal at different cadences. Uh-huh. So one way to, you know, speed up on a road bike is you don't have to shift up when somebody attacks. You just increase your cadence. Yep. And that's a great way to, you know, and, and when you shift, you have to, you know, let off the pedals for this half second for it to click. Um, if you don't have to click, you now have a half second easier, you know, countering of that attack. Or even better, if you you know, you can attack away from someone. If mm-hmm. they, are, you know, if they have to shift, you now have a half second, you know, space away from them uh, to attack. So I think being comfortable with this is my gear. If I want to go faster, I have to pedal faster. I think that's probably the big takeaway. That's that's interesting. So I think the shifting thing also plays in the mountain biking a lot. Right? The, the same situation, like sometimes you don't want to wait a half second to let that gear drop and you just need to be smooth and, you know, stay on top of the pedals and get get going right and you know like if you're on a steep hill it's waiting waiting a, a half second for the to get to a lower gear ain't gonna work you just gotta muscle through it and stay yeah. smooth and that's 
another i'm like okay it's just so tough when you're exhausted to uh you know oh i got the cadence wrong um Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and and you're at 40 or 50 cadence you just have to try and uh stay calm and keep it you know in a in a circle all right done with pedals yeah uh okay i think this one at least from a mountain biking standpoint is fairly obvious but bike handling skill okay um any any track comment i mean i would imagine so bike handling this is um probably the thing that i take away the most from track cycling is um it's you know it's the opposite of mountain biking in that the environment's very sterile Mm -hmm. um it's the velodrome it's it's banked it's intended to simulate a straight line um basically the you know you should never really have to turn your turn your bike at all you should just sort of lean a little bit in the corners and you don't even have to lean that much um and so you know it's it's effectively like you're just riding in this group in a straight line and the finish is you know in 5k you know how how are you going to be the first person across that line and what's cool about it, you know, there's no brakes in track cycling. So you have to either ride up the bank, which takes away, it transfers kinetic energy to gravitational potential energy, or you can push back on the pedals a little bit. That's usually not done. Um, at the highest level, they figure out how to save the energy. So if, if you turn the energy into gravitational potential energy, you get that energy back when you come back down. Mm-hmm. So they're, they really try really hard not to... Um, push back on the pedals and also it's not terribly efficient either and it uses the wrong muscles so it's it's so unintuitive to push back and your muscles really kind of hate you because you're using them in the wrong direction yeah you're eccentrically resisting the pedals coming through so uh in terms of bike handling the you know the goal is how do i cross the line first um you have to take a good position you have to uh, be willing to ride close to others um, some of the biggest things are being able to ride right on someone's wheel, um, being able to overtake someone or, uh, being able to, when they swing off, uh, take the position. Mm-hmm. And because it's so sterile, you can ride very, very close to other riders and learning to be comfortable with only a couple inches and matching their speed. Mm-hmm. Um, these sort of bike handling skills are great. And, um, also I guess we can save this for another section, but, um, like race tactics and sprinting um, also lean on this stuff as well. Sure. And track has etiquette, right? And there, there are lanes and lines and everything. Yeah. That you, which is and different, it, different than, and then, yeah, there's etiquette right on the road in the crater in a mountain bike race, but it's, it's not quite dictated in that way of having a, a marking of yeah. what's expected to happen. And so I think uh, in terms of bike handling stuff, you know, the goal is basically not to, you know, kill each other. Because, you know, we, nobody has any brakes, so if everybody sort of did what they wanted, um, it could definitely get dangerous. But, you know, so you see some of this stuff in road races as well, where when you overtake a rider, you just slip out of their slipstream mm-hmm. just for the tiniest second, and then you come right back in front of them. And that's that's such a track move to just slip out and slip right back in. Um, and um, the other thing that I think a lot of road riders miss that I learned on the track was learning how to get your handlebars in somewhere to take a position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see people in the crosswinds all the time in road races who don't know how to get in. And I see other people who think they can stop me from getting in. 
and you can't because my handlebars are in front of yours. And if I, you know, if I want this position, I can push you off the road. You you can't do anything about it. And, um, I think that something that definitely road riders miss that you have to learn on the track in something like an elimination race where the goal is to stay as tight as possible and not be at the back. And so how do you, you don't want to be at the front either because then you're taking the wind. So how do you stay in the middle of the pack and not get pushed to the back of it? Uh, And I was never even really that good at elimination races, but being bad at elimination races is still more than enough for road racing in terms of um, how to move around in the pack. And a lot of my teammates have mentioned like, wow, you know, it's amazing you got up to the front at the end of that crit. And um, yeah, well, you know, I I know how to push you out of the line, you know, and take, take where I want. Um, and I mean, you have to learn that on the track. You, you don't have the opportunity. Who who has a straightaway that's you know two kilometers long for you to practice? Sure. You know, taking people's wheels. So. All right. So mountain biking primarily lacks in close quarters, except for the start. Uh, a, a mountain biking start is like absolutely chaos because it's everybody's there packed together, and it is a sprint until you get to the single track. Uh, like you are you are going hard so you know ideally you want to be the first person to the single track so you can control the race right? it's a little bit mm-hmm. in some ways a little bit different than a road race so you, you can't pass on a single track you can but so you know depending on how narrow and technical it is like some sections will have like kind of a, an a-line b-line where it's like a-line is faster a little bit more challenging the b-line makes you go around and like you're if you really get on it you can do it but usually you have to go off the trail a little bit and that's just inefficient, right? It's not as smooth, and now you're yeah. you're bumping along, and you're you're wasting energy. So you you want to typically get maybe you don't want to be at first first, but maybe you want you want to be top five, top ten, something like that. Okay. Um, on, at the single track, so everybody's sprinting, so it's kind of it's it's madness, right? Like everybody's mm-hmm. close together, everybody's fresh, amped up, right? It's, yeah. it's not like the people are tired and they came to the start line. So um, that that's chaos, but that that's as much pack riding per se as you get in the mountain bike race okay um, so it's not like you have to be able to hang for whatever 90 seconds or a minute or two to to do that and then yep. that's that's that as far as the close riding goes um but then i think you know the way i think about it is mountain biking makes you more comfortable with uncertainty because um, you right okay. if it's loose gravel, if it's mud, if it's sand, if it's rocky, like all these things give you uncertain traction and it means your tires are going to slide a little bit and you, you get comfortable with that. Now, I'm not saying that I'm super comfortable with my road tires sliding because I'm not, because there's not big cornering knobs to catch me. Okay. But if my road tire does slide a little bit, it doesn't freak me out. It's like, eh, okay, whatever, it's, it's sliding a little bit. That's, that's fine. I think that's one of the things you get used to with mountain bike. It's like, oh yeah. My tires are not like totally gripping right now. They're sliding a little bit, and it's like I'm on the edge of chaos. But that's okay because hopefully that cornering knob is going to hook up, and I'll yeah. be back into control in, in just like a split second here. And you've been on the corner of chaos enough times that yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, you you know, and then you know there's there's those moments where you recognize that like oh this is not going to end up well for me and I, I need to bail. I think that's like the underappreciated handling skill of mountain biking is like, yes, you should do everything in your power to keep your bike upright and keep the tires on the you know, rubber side down. Mm-hmm. But when you don't, 
learning how to fall is like invaluable. Hmm. I I can't tell you. No, I can't tell you how many times I've fallen on a road bike. Just a, hand, a handful, just because I was being ridiculous and like you know, if the posted sign says twenty in the corner, forty is not a good entry speed. I'll tell you that much. Nice. Um, but you know that said, like I've gone down at that speed. No broken bones, just some flesh wounds, and mm-hmm. if you know how to fall, when you get into that situation, you're like, oh yeah, my my tires are not gonna grip. No, they're they're past that limit. Then I think you can certainly save yourself some some mm-hmm. serious downtime. Like yeah, it sucks, and you're skating on pavement, but you didn't break the collarbone, you didn't you know, break mm-hmm. anything. So I think those are like the two things. One is com- you know being comfortable with some uncertainty in your tires just different thing like on biking you also get your, your body in all sorts of weird positions and shifting your weight back or leaning or leaning the bike without your body yeah. which is like right if you watch me ride a road bike bike and body always go together but getting that dissociation uh, that's a little different skill yeah so th- th- that's another interesting thing for track cycling you 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 are one with your instrument mm-hmm. and you're just sort of this this metal and in flesh entity and uh i know that mount when I saw uh, when I saw Peter Sagan on his road bike, mm-hmm. um, and he moved the bike and kept his body in the same place, mm-hmm. that was the you know I was like, do you see that? That's weird. And uh, my you know my friend was like, yeah, that's a mountain biker thing. Yeah, for sure. And so you know you want to go you want to go in both worlds back and forth I assume with road racing. Yeah, and I think there's corners for sure on a road bike where it's like this thing's banked and I'm staying with my bike. And there's sometimes where you know it like just I mean I think even some of those like negotiating with a pack when you start to get bumped a little bit you may be moving your bike or your body and and they're dissociated so yeah I think it's there there are both uh, I just think it, it probably just depends on the corner that you're coming into and the relative banking and everything this the situation right yeah the um about the falling thing I know. Um, Van, a- Van Aert and uh, Vanderpool are mm-hmm. cyclocross riders, right. but both of them had um, like very good falls uh, mm-hmm. in, in the recent classic races. In, in that, like, oh, you kind of just bounced off the ground, but you got right back up. Yep. Um, as opposed to you see some other people uh, really yeah. like um, unceremoniously hit the deck. Yep. So that's interesting that you mentioned that because I did notice that they really fell well. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I think if, if longevity is the goal, then falling, falling well is, yeah. uh, I mean, falling, falling well will not help you win races inherently by itself, right? But it may help you stay on the bike a little bit longer, get your training done, and then you're prepared to yeah. uh, win the race when that time comes. Mm. I think uh, for track cycling, it's pretty uncommon to crash. Everyone thinks you're going to crash all the time because you don't have brakes, but um, you know, you follow the etiquette. The intention is for that to be safe. And I've never crashed on a track bike. Let me tap something. But um, <laughs> I, I think I, it feels really safe despite, um, you know, if someone moves into your space, you just move up the bank. Yeah. And it's very rare for it to be eight. You know, it needs to be eight, not eight, nine wide to start to be nervous about, you know, not having space to move over. So you're going pretty slow at that point. I mean, yeah. Or really fat. Well, okay, everybody wants to come around. Well, you know, there's not even eight riders in a Kieran race anyway, so they could go, you know, wall to wall if they wanted. But, 
Yeah, the only, probably the most nervous thing is uh, like something like a points race that has a lot of negative racing. Uh, you do a lot of, um, the whole pack will come up and then someone from the back will dive down and from behind uh -huh. and, you know, try and get uh, a little bit of space. And then everyone wants to dive with them and there's the speed differential as we're all diving uh -huh. in. And that's the only time where it's like, you know, nothing bad has ever happened, but, you know, you can see the potential for sure. uh, something to go wrong. But um, Yeah, so I want to talk about the next section of, uh, like, race tactics. Um, and, like, for, I think, one big argument alongside bike handling is learning how to race. And the reason track, track riding is really good for learning how to race is there are events like points races where you have 10 sprints in 30 minutes. Uh -huh. And so this is a lot better than something like uh, crit or even worse, a road race where you have to race for four hours and then you get one shot at this. Mm -hmm. And if you mess it up, you got to go home and wait maybe next weekend, maybe the weekend after that. And you, you know, you might get your, you know, depending on race situations, you might get to be like a cat three cat two and not really have that many chances to try sprinting, to mm -hmm. try to you know differentiate yourself from the field. And so tra track riding is great. It's a, it's sterile again, because it allows you to just, okay, how do I finish? You know, how do I get in front of these people right before the finish line? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that it's tough. It's hard to describe, but basically I think that, I was thinking about this earlier, you see a lot of uh, crits, like lower category crits, masters crits, where there's a lot, of, there's like a lot of negative racing. Mm -hmm. uh, people really just want to sit in. You know, it's a flat course. I can just hide. You know, yep. with in the draft, I'm doing tempo. The person on the front seems to be working really hard. I'm not working that hard. I like to race negatively as well, and uh, I think that also comes from the track of it has to go slow in order for you to get an advantage on the track in the goal is to either dive down the bank or come over the top when the front is slowing down you have to get away from the field somehow mm -hmm. and learning how to do that learning how to get an advantage when it mushrooms or um just figuring out how to not have people on your draft in a sterile environment is a lot more difficult but if you learn how to do it it can be really effective because you see a lot of road riders who only know how to get away on a hill or get away on a, a feature. Mm -hmm. And if you can just figure out how to get away on a, or even worse is people who are really good at telegraphing when they're about to attack. And, uh, you know, they want to bridge up, then they just drag the field mm -hmm. because uh, they, they never learned how to sort of, how do I get you not to follow me? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that in terms of uh, race tactic stuff, the other thing is that you have to think a lot in track races one during the race but also prepping for the race so each of the different races have you know, points races scratch races even match printing mm -hmm. match printing on its own is great you know how many times do two people come to the line and you can tell one one is uh in the drops and you know has their uh that you know they watch enough match printing youtube videos uh to know how to beat the other person mm -hmm. um so it's just good to learn how to, and then groups of three as well, groups of two, groups of three, how do I win out of those groups? Um, and then I think also um, just the conscious tactical thought at all times. 
uh, is something that you can learn from track riding. You should always be thinking about what is the best thing to do here? Mm-hmm. How do I get value? How do I, you know, how do I have more energy than my opponents? How do I get away from my opponents? How do I win? Um, and, and this is something that needs to be done constantly on the track because it is so fast. And when you go to road racing or I assume these mountain biking or cyclocross, it really starts to slow down and it makes it a lot easier because on the track it can be overwhelming and you're sort of like tactics, uh, oh, the race is over. Uh, and, and then when it slows down, you can really start to execute on these tactics and it makes it a lot easier uh, to go with your game plan. And I think a lot of road riders, especially I've noticed, don't really have a plan. They're just sort of like, well, we'll figure it out as we go. I'll get to the finish line before yeah. you do, and it's all good. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that's, I mean, on the track, that's, like, inexcusable. I mean, you you will definitely lose if you if you don't really go into the game plan and know, you know, who your opponents are and how good they are. Um, and I think that that's definitely a skill that needs to be learned is, um, how, you know, what are the course features? How do I mm-hmm. win? And I think that track can definitely teach you that. I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but just listening listening to you talk about that, it just like reminds me when I was playing other sports growing up, like playing basketball, you would do one on one drills, you would do like two on two drills and all like mm-hmm. all these things, kinda like practice in isolation, practice certain things, like build your strategies, like all these little things that were part of the game when you got there and it was five on five. But if you do all these little individual skills and I don't want this to sound like, oh, well, track riding is just practice. I don't, I don't think that at all. But, like, it sounds almost like like how you're describing it. Like, yeah, this is, like, this great arena for me to practice all of the things that I'm going to go out and have to do and think about in a road race. And, oh, it's super convenient because I can actually do a whole bunch of races. But I think that's the, one of the unique things about track riding yeah. is I can do a points race. I can do a, a match race. I can do all these different things. I can do a pursuit if I wanted, right? Um mm-hmm all in one afternoon on one weekend where and I get like all these reps about racing I can learn I can learn a lot really fast yeah as opposed to the road race where like oh yep I just spent four hours and I got one sprint and well I was boxed in damn it that was a that was a waste of time and uh and yeah and sometimes you you don't even out you don't even know how to do better next time right like Um, well don't be boxed in okay (laughs) how do do I do that yeah and it's like it happened so fast how did I even get boxed in right Um, Uh, it seemed like I was pretty good and then I wasn't (laughs) yeah uh so you know I I like that you said that it's like practice because I believe that a lot of European uh track riders like I think Belgium especially treats track riding as a um, they have a special term for, um, for like juniors or people at, you know, kids in high school who mm-hmm. are very good track riders who they're going to turn into road riders. Um, they, they use it as a development pathway. Uh-huh. Um, so I, and I think personally that the, the omnium for endurance track riding has sort of ruined the sport. Um, because in my opinion, like a standalone points race is incredible, mm-hmm. but when you add it now to the end of three other events, it gets watered down because in a, in a classic points race, anyone can win. Mm-hmm. So everybody tries all these crazy, I want to lap the field lap, you know, lap one, mm-hmm. and they just go from the gun, and then they try and hold on for the rest of the race, or, um, you know, you have these people who just slowly collect, or mm-hmm. people who want to get, you know, in different moves. If, if it's at the end of an Omnium. You have maybe five people who can win, and everybody else is just sort of 
cannon fodder. They're just there. They're just yeah. riding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, it is it's just great practice, and probably the most unfortunate thing is that there aren't enough velodromes around and enough programs. I was lucky enough to be close enough to Trexler Town to go up there like once a week uh, or twice a week to race, and they have they have races three nights a week. I mean, that's such an amazing opportunity. Yeah, I think that's another piece of it, right? Just the volume of races in a place like that. You can yeah. you can do it multiple times in a, in a week and really get those repetitions in. Yeah, and even the repetitions of like, how do I feel good when I get on the bike? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I warm up well enough? How do I, you know, what what food stuff? Yeah. Just all that stuff is you have to do it three times, you know, in a night. Just to figure it out, absolutely. Uh, mountain bike tactics. That's a that's a good one. Um, I think mountain biking is very different than track certainly and then, and then road right? there's a lot less pack riding mm-hmm. uh, so drive and the speed's slower so drafting becomes less of a an active need um, certainly it's good to know how to do it because there are opportunities when you have a flatter section or you have a you know a gradual climb or you're out and it's windy uh, on the course and you, you need to take advantage of that to, to shield yourself and conserve energy but i'd say that's like a, a small part like if you didn't know how to draft but it, you know, it would you be a terrible mountain biker? No, probably not. Uh, I think you know. I think with mountain biking, strategy is a lot about not just like yes, comparing like how do I do knowing my competitors and trying to understand this, their relative strengths relative to mine, but also like understanding your strengths relative to the course, right? Like, does this course have short, steep, punchy climbs, and I have a really good anaerobic engine, therefore I'm going to do well with that, or does this course have particularly gnarly descents? I know I'm a strong descender, so I want to try my best to, even though I, I may not be the best climber in the race, I'm going to push myself hard on the climb so I can get up to the top of the hill and have a clear trail in front of me to descend. Mm-hmm. Um, right, So I can really take advantage of my descending skill that's superior to the other riders in the race. Uh, so I think I think that's part of the like tactical knowledge that comes from mountain biking. It's like, where, where on this course can I take advantage of my unique skill set to succeed hmm. right and what do I have to do and like where on this course should I hide because I know that I don't do well on that yeah right or you know obviously there's some like what do I need to train myself to do better too but like yeah gee I know that I'm not good on those short steep climbs so how am I going to take my other strengths to neutralize that weakness that I have so I can yeah. be the successful rider on the day there's there's this idea in racing of am i attacking right now or am i defending Mm -hmm. and attacking doesn't always mean you know going off the front it means am i you know racing positively am i trying to get an advantage now Mm -hmm. or defensively is am i trying to you know mitigate this thing that i'm not as good at and it sounds like mountain biking has a lot of both attacking and defending yeah and i think there's the different sections or different parts of the course you're, you're constantly Ask, have to ask yourself, like, am I good at this, right? And, you know, hopefully the answer is more often than not, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident with this, or, you know, and then you can work out how you're going to be in that defensive state um, for hopefully as little time as possible or, you know, lose as little ground as possible. Like, I've, I've done enough races, I've seen enough races, but there are times where you will, like, be a better climber than somebody. Like, every time you get a climb, you gap them, and then you start to go down, and they're just a an awesome descender and like they start to pull that gap back and then like mm-hmm. you you just you just hope that over the course of that race that 
there's enough climbing that you start to accumulate that gap, right? You start to get out of their view. And so you don't hear their chain mountain behind you, right? You don't hear their legs behind you towards the end of that race. Uh, but I think that's the biggest thing with mountain bike times is like starting to understand how you can take advantage of that course and how you can you know, be on that offensive as much as possible. Yeah. That's cool. And that, your, uh, your sound uh, cue reminded me of uh, track riders hear the chain as well. And if, in like match sprinting, mm-hmm. if the front rider, you know, can't always look backwards, if mm-hmm. they, they'll listen to the, like the hump and the, the chain to, uh-huh. and they'll just kick instinctively, not even look you know, yeah, to see like it. You know, that person, you know, they kicked like you yeah. heard it. You don't need to yeah. look and see. Yeah. And um, that's like, yeah, that's another thing with uh, back to road. It's like, you know, you know, you know, they're going to attack. You just need a cue. Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes with stuff like that with the sprint, it's at some point, if you decide to launch that sprint, launch that, don't look back, right? Like, at some point, you just got to go, yeah. right, and, and believe that, <laughs> you're, that you're going as hard as you can, and they're not going to catch you. Yeah, and I, I, I've had so many uh, crits where I never attacked. You know, I got third in the crit. Mm-hmm. I never attacked. I always just followed, and I ended up following the sprinter who mm-hmm. won um, and learning thinking about that and then oh yeah in track there's this thing you know there's a bell when there's one to go and then there's this line that's like red or white that's 200 meters to go Mm -hmm. and if you're not kicking already by 200 meters like you 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 didn't win because everyone else is yeah um and like thinking from that and translating it into other events um i'm sure you you have this point in a mountain bike race where it's you just go full gas and and that's it yeah, I mean, one of those times at the start, yeah. right? When you're trying to establish your position, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, mean, I think there's there's some point at the end. It probably depends, you know, on the features of the course, right? Does it finish on a descent? Does it finish on a climb? Where you're like, all right, yep, this is like if I'm going to make this move, and there's some feature of, well, what's my strength relative to the field, right? Like, yeah. if I know the course ends on a descent and I don't descend well. I better go like heck on that last climb to try to take advantage of that and you know hope I can hang on and vice versa just depending on uh, what the course looks like. So I've got another another topic here. Okay. Uh, talk about energy systems. Right? Like, I was gonna mention that. Okay. All right. Perfect. <laughs> so we, we are we are in line then. Yeah. So one the first thing I was gonna mention is that of the mountain bikers that I know, they can push watts, uh, especially aerobic watts. Um, and especially out here, that's true. Where I grew up um, on the East Coast, there the mountains are two or three minutes, um, which is more into the track domain. But uh, here, you have some long hills. Yeah. I, I like I um, I feel bad for people who like mountain biking around here because it just it seems like to me you're just like it's really slow. You're really hot the sun is just baking you and you're just like kicking sand. That's what I imagine it's like for like 30 minutes. You're just kicking sand, kicking sand, just sweating it out. Oh no, we have, we have trees though. These lovely tall redwoods okay. that, you know. Maybe like they, Arizona? <laughs> yeah, I think they, that would be brutal. Uh, Sedona is beautiful. I've, I've been there, ridden there in like Moab. It's like a mountain bike mecca. Again, be- beautiful, but yes, open, arid, dry, hot. Yeah. You, you get a long climb there. And, at minute 28, you're like, I can't do this circular you're, pedaling you're, anymore. You just sweat. You just sweat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that's interesting that you say that, because I think about racing, I think about it about this, like, 
ability to repeat and recover from anaerobic efforts. And I think for me, going from mountain biking to road riding, that's why I was good at crits. Because it was like on again, off again. Like, oh, I can do, I can do this. I know about this from from mountain biking. Is like that's a power of a climb, and then I get a little recovery on the descent, and then I power climb again, and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, repeat that. You know, obviously there is some base level aerobic fitness that has to go with that. You can't yeah. just do like anaerobic power all the time. You have to have some some aerobic fitness to be able to recover. And, um, so I think that's a, a key piece to it. Um, not necessarily like sprinting per se. Right? I mean, it's very you don't really sprint. You seldom see a sprint finish in a mountain bike race. Like usually the field has separated itself. Your your sprint happens at the at the onset to sort of establish your position in the field. Um, yeah, but I think I really think about like the anaerobic engine and mountain biking mm. being one of the important pieces of like just being able to like go hard and then recover and go hard and then even. In the setting of a, a sustained climb, you have sections where it's rocky or it's ruddy, and then now you have to have a, a quick spike in power, right? Because mm -hmm. you have to get a, like enough momentum, enough speed to come up over that rock, or you had like pedal really hard so you could stop pedaling to get the bike to clear over the rock, right? Um, so I think you have these weird like on and off again spikes, mm -hmm. right? Like if you look at your uh, variability index, right? your normalized power versus yeah. your average power. Mountain biking is like way off on its own. Like it's like you know, 1.2 to 1.5 is the ratio oh. for a mountain bike cross country race, right? Where mm -hmm. like, a time trial is one, one point one. right? Yeah, yeah. And then like road, road race is like 1.1-ish. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And then Chris maybe a little higher, but the mountain biking is like even mm -hmm. higher than that because it's just all over the map. Yeah, I think in energy systems with I, I agree that uh, track is similar to mountain biking in that you don't really actually learn how to sprint um, it, as it, as you sprint in road racing. Mm -hmm. And if you look at match sprinters, they sprint for like 30 seconds. Um, they'll go from a lap and a half out. Um, and it's very different as well because it's basically all seated. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that is close is, and, and it, well, this isn't even that close, but um, like team sprint, mm -hmm. the first rider in a team sprint does one lap and then they peel off yep. and that's the closest thing to a road sprint in that it's 19 seconds or something. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is it's not, it's a standing start. So mm -hmm. they have to do 1800 Watts from a standing start, which is not, that's not road cycling. Road cycling no. is getting dropped off uh, with 200 meters to go. Um, and then, and you're in your biggest gear and yep. you have to do 120 K in standing. Yeah. And you already rode. Yeah, six four hours. Or six. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't think track cycling is great for sprinting, but I think that I mean, like we said, it, it's good to learn how to sprint. Mm -hmm. um, the the tactics translate, but the it's the same thing of this. Can I do three laps hard, and then now you get three laps to not get dropped. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's it's really bad to lose a lap, uh, but you have to attack in order to you know, differentiate yourself, especially something like a points race, you wind up every 10 laps uh, to figure out, you know, if you can cross that line first, mm -hmm. but then you can't get dropped. And if someone chooses to counterattack right after the the lap is up, the field's going to accelerate and if you, you know, spent too much. So I think these, these sub-maximal efforts 
of, of 90 seconds, um, this anaerobic engine, and doing it, the big thing is over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, because it's not, if you, if you watch a points race, if you didn't notice, points races are my favorite. Um, <laughs> but if you watch uh, some of the top races, the, the person who wins the first sprint, they never do well. Um, and it's because by the end, that person is absolutely smoked. In, in a, they're in a, in a debt. They just didn't recover from yeah. that first one. Well, the, the trick is the top riders, they can go just as hard the 10th time, mm-hmm. the 15th time, whereas um, a weaker rider can, yeah, they can go really hard one time, but how many times in a row can you do it? And mm-hmm. I think that's, for me, that's where I find value in road racing is because it's four hours of efforts that I, I can do the next effort again. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, you know, my five minute power, my one minute power is not as good as, you know, other cat one riders, but after three hours, I have a better one minute power than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that comes from track because you do this 50 minute, um, effort where you have to produce, uh, a one to two minute effort every, you know, five minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's the one big thing. The other thing that is not like mountain biking is you can kind of get away without an aerobic engine, except at the highest level. Mm. Um, because the field, you know, aerodynamics are, are really high. And when you get in that slipstream, the power really drops off. Yep. Um, and it's really the surges are what pops you, not the, um, the aerobic stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, like we said on a previous episode, when you do anaerobic work, it's 80% aerobic work. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to have a higher VO2 max, you need to have a higher aerobic engine. So if you want to start to differentiate yourself at the highest level, you can't just lean on your anaerobic engine. Yeah. Um, you need a strong foundation. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. So what about other events? I'm going to like ruin your talking about points races, but like, what about the pursuit? What about like the other, the more individual track events. Obviously, like the Flying 200 is its own beast, right? That's a, yeah. a unique event that's like purely like lytic process, mm-hmm. um, you know, creating phosphate system. Like that's its own. So like, like, um, like, like, like four, team pursuit, individual yeah, pursuit? Yeah, 4K. Um, the individual pursuit, I, I mean, I've never been that good at it, but it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a pure anaerobic effort. Um, it's right in that zone, which you need a big aerobic engine. You need um, a big anaerobic engine. Um, and it's, well, I think it's kind of boring in that you just need to be super strong mm-hmm. and you need to be able to fit in this arrow position. Yep. Um, and then you need to be able to suffer for four minutes. And I think that uh, team pursuit is maybe a little more interesting because you'll do three lap poles, mm-hmm. I think. That's what Team um, Team Britain is doing. And actually it's... It's faster to do longer pulls because each time you pull off the front, you lose a bike length. Sure. So you want to pull off as few times as possible, but you have to balance that with it's really hard to pull on the front for too long. So I think they're doing 45 to a minute. I'm not so sure if I'll have to look again, but I think it's like 45 second efforts and they might each just do like one pull. Um, so it's almost like an extended team sprint. Yeah, uh, and especially now that the times are really getting a lot lower, um, you'll do yeah you'll basically all do three laps or whatever the math works out to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the thing is you have to be able to get up the bank and then get back into the slip because you have to have three people out of your four finish. Um, so if somebody does this monster pull and they they don't have enough to yeah if they don't have enough to get back into the slip you you either have to wait for them if that's if you already lost another rider or you, no one else can mess up. Right. Um, so that's really interesting. That is this. I mean, it's a lot of creatine phosphate. The um, a lot of team pursuiters are getting a lot quadier, a lot bigger. Uh-huh. It used to be actually um, road racers who. The national team would say, hey, do you want to try the pursuit? Uh-huh. Um, and now it's dedicated pursuit riders who are getting really uh, large because they they found that you can just put a giant gear on and get someone with huge quads to just mash that gear, and you get better times than um, a smaller rider. Just putting out, just putting out force. Lots right? and lots, yeah. yeah. Well, aerodynamics, though. At some point, you're so wide. But yeah, so there's a, there's a sweet spot there, I'm sure. And I mean, there's a reason track riders are larger um, yeah. because yeah, the, the the watts value yeah, goes the, up. The so absolute much. the absolute value of producing another watt is more important than the value of increased service area. Mm-hmm. And another interesting uh, in terms of this uh, this energy system, the I don't know if you watched the video. Did you watch the video of Johnny Hoogland doing the kilo? No. Um, he set the world record, I think it was last year's world championships, and he, you know, the, the kilo was about one minute. He, cool, he got off the bike, and he, they, they had to, like, carry him off the bike, and then they, they, like, laid him on the side of the track, mm-hmm. and he's just laying there, and he can't, he can't use his legs, um, because he went so hard that they just stopped, um, and so the, what's interesting about the kilo is that one, you better be huge. Um, these guys are like animals. Um, but two, you have to accelerate. You know, you a standing, yeah, standing it's, start. It's a standing start, and you you need to, you know, you want to do the fastest, you know, average speed. So mm-hmm. you know, the slowest part of your race is the start. So you want to accelerate as fast as possible. Yep. So you do this massive 15 second uh, turn, and then you basically hang on for yep. 40 seconds. Yep. And this is, I mean, is it, you, you burn through your creatine phosphate in, in that first effort. Um, and then, I mean, this is the, this is the ultimate, just like, you know, shake your body until all the energy comes out um, effort. Yeah. Um, and it, what, one interesting thing is that they use heavier wheels because it carries the momentum. momentum. Yeah, the, well, inertia, technically. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, you, you know, you can use your creatine phosphate to put this energy into these wheels, and then they'll, they'll keep, you know, chugging along. But I found that really interesting when I found out about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's fascinating. It's like you have to, it takes more energy for you to accelerate those wheels. Although, I think right when you do the physics, it's probably not that crazy. Much mm-hmm. more energy that you're putting in to keep the but the, but you think about going. it once you put a, once you put too much energy in you, some people get wheel slip um or yeah. they can't you have to have the upper body to keep the bar straight yep. when you're putting that down because your your foot stroke is not down the center plane of the bike your bike wants to go to the side mm-hmm. so you have to use your upper body and your to core to yeah. resist that so can the heavier uh wheels help you know to resist that too. yeah I mean, it's the same thing we talked about with the 100-meter sprint uh, in the Olympics, right? Like, they accelerate, but then the last half of the race, it's just a matter of who doesn't slow down. 
Yeah. Right. And like that's the crazy thing about Usain Bolt. Right? It's like even though he was slowing down just like everybody else, he's slowing down a lot less than yeah. everybody else. Um, so yeah, that's that's fascinating that, that you're trying yeah. to that you're you're basically you're fighting not slowing down. Which I mean, at the end of the day, is that we're always fighting in a bike race or in any endurance event, right? It's like yeah, I want to fight the urge to slow down stop and get off my bike right? like to keep the speed constant yeah and i we talked about our anomalous races the i think both of our races started with overpacing the first half mm-hmm. and then um it turns out you can hang on a lot better than you thought maybe yeah um but the another thing is um my other favorite race i i guess i do really like these um short time trials but um anastasia Voinova. Uh, as a Russian rider, and she set the 500 meter world record. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the progression of like the last 10 riders, and I noticed distinctly that she like looked like almost like animalistic compared to the other riders. Just the way that she like really forced the bike forward, mm-hmm. and she stayed out of the saddle significantly longer. She looked like much more like ferocious on the bike. Um, I think she did like the first. Uh, like third or maybe up to the she did like basically a whole lap out of the saddle oh wow um yeah and then you know it's a two-lap race so she just has to hang on for the second half but the core strength required the um you know the the work to be able to you know go go full gas for you know that whole first half is crazy yeah that's that's an effort yeah um I, yeah, I do form sprints that are 20 seconds and you do them at, you know, four or 500 watts. And that's like kind of, you know, kind of sucks by the last five seconds of like, it's not very comfortable to, you know, be in the sprint position for 20 seconds. Yeah. And imagine then throwing down yeah, but you're max, actually doing maximal <laughs> watts from a standing start. And then you have to sit down and do, and, yeah, you know, another, not slow down. Yeah. So pretty cool stuff. Um, elimination races are also really interesting. I, one time I, well, you know, I, I wasn't that good at elimination races when I did them a lot, but one time I just sat at the front and just did threshold mm-hmm. and I got second. Because <laughs> nobody would come around. Yeah, no, nobody. Just the, yeah. The, the last smart person just sprinted past you at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so the, yeah, the, the one person who didn't um, put their face in the wind, but yeah. also didn't um, get caught out. So. Any other areas of, uh, of development? To, yeah, let me check my notes. The one big thing is, I guess I have two new things. Are um, Like we were saying about the sterile environment and about practice, uh-huh. it's also, you'll see a lot of road riders, um, even some local pros uh, go to Hellier and... Um, it's great for like Tabata efforts mm-hmm. because when you are cross-eyed at the end of them, there's no cars to run into for sure. um, and there's no, there's no stopping. There's no bumpy road. And you, you'll have some coaches who say, I want you to do your VO2 max efforts on a real road mm-hmm. because you need to learn how to keep the power down, even with the undulating terrain, mm-hmm. undulating road surface um, and other people who believe you know, if we maximize the stimulus, we maximize uh-huh. um, the training. So on a track, it's a lot easier to maximize that stimulus. Um, and you never accidentally hit a stop sign, you know, because you're right, right in the middle of the effort. 
Yeah, or um, I've, I've had a couple times where I started an effort and, you know, a car is like lost in front of me mm-hmm. and, and they're just like blocking the road and you have to sit up for 10 seconds. I think that's actually one of the great challenges with mountain bike. Now there are mountain bike power meters. That, that wasn't like, that was a more recent invention, right, with disc brakes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the top did make one that was a wheel-based, and now there's all the crank-based uh, yeah. power meters. So you can do that on a mountain bike, but mountain biking, the variability, right, is incredibly high. Um, mm-hmm. Another part of, like, trails are not uniform, right? Like, trails go up and down and are mm-hmm. undulating and... It's very hard to find a, a place to do interval. Like, so I, I tend to only do intervals on a road bike or uh, yeah. on, on a trainer as opposed to actually on a trail. It's just so hard to find. If I wanted to have a consistent workout and try to hit numbers, it's very difficult to find that place to do it. Um, that being said, I, I think there is some value in like, train like you want to race. Like, yeah. I do need to do, I do do hard efforts on a mountain bike on trail. Just if I want to do a focus interval and workout, I don't know what to do that on a mountain bike. Yeah, I think um, even you know track cycling, they don't even ride the track that much because how do you get the muscle mass required for the sport? You go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, even even track cyclists aren't doing that much track work. Um, I mean, I guess there's a difference in that, right? It's, and you pointed to it when you go on the track, it's a known quantity, right? Like. The track will be the track. It's X meters long. It has yeah. this bank. You, you know what you're getting yourself into. Whereas when you're on a road bike, when you're on a mountain bike, cycle across, it's highly variable. It can be like the road can be different, the way the wind's blowing. Like there's all these other environmental factors that come into play. So I can kind of see, I can kind of see where, I don't want to say you can get away with it, but it, you can manage not like being on that bike, not being in that environment and track because it is so controlled. Yeah. Whereas with these other disciplines, yeah, you probably do need to introduce some element of variability into your training to be ready for race day. Yeah, and um, the last thing that I had was that, you know, you know the, the rear wheel is attached to your pedals. Mm-hmm. So when you cross the finish line, if you guys haven't ridden a track bike and you, you're interested, you have to keep pedaling when you cross the line, which it's a very, not very common, but um, fairly common mistake to, oh, I'm done my effort, mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, like a road cyclist, you just stop and, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, you know, you get kicked off the bike basically, um, because your, your legs try and keep moving, yeah. but you're not ready for it. And, um, but the, the movement of your legs, it helps with, uh, lactic acid removal. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, blood flow certainly, yeah. So one, one idea that I, you know, I, I don't have any white papers to support this or anything, but learning how to, like I just didn't attack, it got pulled back. I need to move my legs this whole time, right. and that makes it a lot easier not to get dropped. Um, because when when you're smoked, you want to just Stop. you know hang off the bike. Yeah. Um, but that's actually like one of the worst things you can do for your legs. So interesting you say that. This reminds me of something uh, with mountain biking, and not necessarily that your feet are attached to the rear wheel and the movement there, but. Mountain bikers I've found are much better about knowing where their bike is in space uh, than other riders, I think. And I think my hypothesis is it comes from like you're constantly getting feedback through your rear wheel. Like, you know if your rear wheel is cleared an obstacle or not. Okay. And so like you become very aware of like where is the end of my bike. 
And mm. like, I think that's particularly useful in a like road bike, right? Like, am I going to fit into this gap? How much space do I have in the pack? Mm. Like, I know where my rear wheel is, right? Like I know where that ends and I can judge very well. And yeah. right, like you said, with track, like, well, some of this is, I'm just going to get my handlebars in front of you and yeah. you are going to yield. Because <laughs> the track cyclist in my head is like, why do you need to know if you're going to fit? Just get in just, front of just them. Just get in there. Yeah, yeah. Make, make them move. <laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, that's fair. I, I think there's probably some balance of the two. I mean, that's yeah. just me, like, right coming from the mountain bike. Like, well, I can definitely fit in that gap. And so, because mm-hmm. I know where the end of my bike is, and I will get there for a go. Yeah. And, yeah, I think there, there's also some validity to, like, I've seen it when I've been in road races and, and group riding. No, I don't well, the hell with the hell with that. I'm just going to get in there, and yeah. that's that. And um, more like that reminded me of um, not not terribly useful stuff, but maybe like cultural stuff. Uh, I know track cyclists are, um, I don't know, like kind of vain almost, um, like very self-centered, very almost flamboyant. Um, I want to wear bright colored shoe covers. I want my you know super fancy bike that's very sleek and my carbon fiber wheels that look cool when they spin. And, um, it's, it's a certain, um, you know, and, and track cycling is intended to be, uh, you know, a viewer friendly uh-huh. sport as well. So there's a lot of, uh, fanfare and, um, you know, characters and stuff. Whereas, you know, I don't want to speak for mountain biking, but it seems a little more, uh, well, we're close to Santa Cruz. So maybe I'm conflating those, but no, no, the, I think the cultures are very much, uh, okay. intertwined, uh, with that, but you gotta remember, right. A hundred or so years ago. Track cycling was in Madison Square Garden, right? I mean, that was like prime time event. Uh, so I mean, you can see the extension, like, mountain biking's never going to be in Madison Square Garden. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not. It's, it's <laughs> going to be out in the woods. It has to be. And it's it, like, I don't think it attracts the prime time type personality. Yeah. Um, you just can't, you can't have that, right? Yeah. Maybe, like, oh, yeah, there's some dudes riding their bikes in the woods. Okay. Cool. And even like, you know, I, I assume um, video coverage isn't that great for mountain bike races. And... It's it's gotten good um, recently, right? Like I think they, for the World Cup races, the UCI does a lot to try to make it very spectator friendly. Okay. Um, like make, can constrain the distance of the courses, right? So if, like, my race this weekend, it was uh, basically a 23 mile lap, like single lap race. Okay. Which you know, I, I told my family, like, yeah, don't you don't want to come because you're not going to see me. Like, you'll see me take off and you'll see me an hour and a half later, and, and that's yeah. that's it. It's not very exciting. Whereas like a, a World Cup race is usually a 5k or so lap, right? And so this is very spectator friendly. You see the riders a lot. It's super easy to set up the video camera. Um, yep. And that right, it's very, so it's very constrained. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's certainly better than like. With the, the advent of things like a GoPro, uh, they can do amazing things for like the downhill and the enduro events where you can have like a mm-hmm. rider you know, oh, from, yeah. from the helmet cam uh, and get some amazing footage and stuff. Yeah, that stuff's really cool. Uh, to be able to see that. It's like, yeah, wow. Like, that's, that's a really... And a lot of times, like, the steepness of the hill is not done justice by mm-hmm. the camera. Like, I've, I've gone, I've, I've ridden different places, like, like, oh, they have a race there. And like, I, I saw it on YouTube and then I went and I like rode it and like, Oh wow! Yeah, I thought it was steep on the video, but like when you get there in person, you know, that's that's real steep. 
Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And I, um, you know, track cycling, even you have to have a venue. The, the seating is usually not great. I think even like the Lee Valley Velo Park in London is only like 5,000 mm-hmm. seats. Um, and then, you know, I think road has a great in between of, um, like the, my example that I'm thinking of is the Iron Hill Twilight Crit in, uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and they basically close down the center of this town, and um, there's a, you know, brewery right there that everybody sits Mm -hmm. in their beer garden and watches the race, and um, it's like a one-kilometer race, so you see them every minute and Mm -hmm. ten seconds, and um, it's just a great opportunity, and then you you can take it down, and it's normal traffic the next day. Yep. Yeah. Um, whereas the velodrome, you have to build a velodrome. <laughs> um, and it has to stay there. Yeah. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, differences. No, I mean, I think a, a crit is a very nice intersection of, like, user friendliness for bike racing. Right? It's like I can go to a little crit, my race is 60 minutes, 70 minutes, something like that. People can watch it. Like, you have family friends. They can actually watch it and see you race your bike. As opposed yeah. to like a road race, it's like, oh, you're gonna be gone for four hours. Great. Uh, I'm not not really interested in hanging out. The trick cause... is, um, you get you convince someone to come to a road race so that they can feed you, but the trick usually only works one time because right. they realize halfway through, like, this actually kind of sucks. <laughs> I see them four times, mm-hmm. and three of those times they expect me to hand them something. Right. That's right. And if I mess it up, they get really angry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Difficult. Uh, strange relationships. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a tough thing with mountain biking. Like you, you have to have trails that are established, and trails only go certain directions, right, and have certain distances, and then they have to be bike legal trails, and sometimes you can close it, sometimes you can't, and that's always interesting if it's, like, a public park and you can't close all the trails. Uh, it's either, like, am I going to run over a hiker today? Hopefully not. Um, yeah. Hmm. So, you know, usually, like, I didn't those, know are, those are rare. Those, like, certainly that would be, like, a world cup. Sometimes for a local race, it's like, yeah, the trail's not closed, but it's also, you're on your bike, and it's way the heck on the end of the park where, like, nobody actually goes, so the chances yeah. that you see somebody out there are, you know, very small, but just heads up, you know, and, yeah. then, you know, they, they do all they can, right? They, they put up signage, and they arrange mm-hmm. those people know and everything, but... And um, the, like, crits are, like, crit is defined as a closed course, which mm-hmm. is nice, and then you know, road races are, we have a couple CHP officers, uh, who will, you know, we have a couple key intersections. Like, what do you mean key intersections? I, um, at the time trial at Chico, I had like three cars pass me and each time I just moved all the way to the left in the lane. Like I'll take your draft. Thanks. <laughs> you know, um, so balancing this stuff. And then, you know, even a uh, track, I couldn't even get onto the velodrome in London. I emailed them because I wanted to do, I had like a study abroad grant. And I wanted to do my study abroad in London and, and um, ride on, ride and race on the track. And they were like, you have to do this four-week certification. And um, basically they, they were like super, um, I don't know, really selective and really um, protective of their of their velodrome. Which, you know, the Trexler Town Velodrome is, they're a little more relaxed, but they definitely, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not a local, they want you to be in a class or something. Mm-hmm. But um it it seems a little more open but uh more differences i guess what else do we have any other ones let's not talk about cyclocross though (laughs) 
It's its own, it's its own thing. It's its own yeah. animal. It's, a, like, it's kind of like a hybrid between, I mean, it is a hybrid, right? But I think culturally it is also a, a bit of a hybrid. I was going to mention uh, gravel races or gravel rides. I know that um, there are some like amazing roads, gravel roads, uh-huh. that are um, like in the middle of nowhere and are just really impressive to ride and, and the view is amazing. Um, and that seems to be, you know, people are, it's growing in popularity. I, you know, I don't really think it's that great because I don't get to race people as much. And, uh-huh. you know, I, I, me racing people is me drafting off of them and sprinting around them. Um, and, it, you know, it doesn't sound like gravel is really my sport. <laughs> not, not your cup of tea. Um, yeah, it, it looks, it looks interesting to me. I think you have to like the adventure aspect a little bit, right? Some like, uh, uh-huh. Dirty Kanza, right? It's like self navigated like you kind of okay. work out where you're going uh, obviously like you, if there's a you know, ton of people you can also do some uh, social engineering there right to understand mm-hmm. where you're going um, but you do actually have to for some of these things do your own navigation yeah uh, and, so, and it's a different thing right it's like those things are like a war of attrition you know, like mm-hmm. 200 mile gravel like my bike's gotta work like I don't, you probably don't appreciate this as much from a road standpoint, but like 200 miles of dirt, like what that does to your chain, mm. like, you know, like, uh, some mountain bike races that are 25 or 30 miles, the appropriate chain lubrication is a challenge. You know, then you do something like a mud bowl 100, that's a challenge. Like uh, Dave Weems, like six time winner, like, he would put a grease on his chain, right? Which to anybody like, like you like know, work? Uh, not like uh, you know, like bearing grease, like solid grease. Yeah. Whoa. Because that's what would last that long. Mm-hmm. And I let's see, I stopped after sixty. Is it, so it's it's out and back fifty ish, and but at the at forty you go uphill for ten, okay. and then you turn around and come back down the same hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stopped at sixty, because basically like I coasted for I didn't pedal for ten, right? And like totally reboot my drivetrain because it was wow. just so dry. And like that was a good like I raced a good year where it didn't rain at all. Mm-hmm. So like you can see why. So can yeah. you imagine like now we ride two hundred miles of dust and gravel. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a whole different like equipment. Than in um, in road racing, it's oh I got a flat. Uh, hey, where's the car to pick me up? Yeah, uh, what right. pick me up? Come on. <laughs> or bring me a wheel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that this is like kind of a tangent i guess um i was thinking about um i what was i watching i was watching like a triathlon Mm -hmm. and you know they're zooming in on the leader and it's it's like he's in the running phase and they're they're getting to the end and you're watching this guy and he's like pumping out his his threshold effort and just thinking about how different that is than like a bike race the way that i view a bike race um I don't care how fast it is. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole point is I, I just want to cross the line before you. Yep. And, I, I, you know, I guess, I don't know that, you know, the even in like a marathon, they're talking about uh, setting a course record or a, mm-hmm. a world record or whatever. Nobody goes to Perry roubaix and says, you know, oh, they, they did it the fastest this year. Right. Um, like they do get faster sometimes, right? As Yeah as a measure of evolution. Like it's a novelty to talk about the speed of the race, but it has nothing to do with it. The actual race. And that, right. That's something where they ride more or less the same course. Unlike the Tour de France, which is, you know, 
you can never compare across years, right? Because the course is different right. every year. Um, I, so I think that's interesting. I think the the analog in other sport, I think obviously any any sport that's scored in points, it's like, well, you just got to score more points than the other guy. It doesn't matter if you score 50 or you score 100, as long as it's more than the other person, you've won the competition. Mm, that's a good point. Um, but I think, you know, when I think about endurance sport, I think about something like the mile or the 1500. Mm-hmm. You don't have to necessarily set a world record to win a gold medal. You just have to run faster than the other guys. And if, if the mood of the pack in the final that day is to go out slow, then you go out slow. Yeah. Right? And I think that was the story from the last Olympics is that some of the guys in the, um, what's the one, uh, the Paralympics after, right? Actually yeah. ran, like I forget which division they were in, but they actually ran the 1500 faster than the guys that won the gold medal or like right mm-hmm. on par. Cause they like that particular day and that, it's like, not that it was slow by any stretch, but compared to what record was slow, but like, mm-hmm. they just didn't run, they didn't go out very hard, right? And yeah. they ran a slow race, and the guy that won had a tremendous kick. And he yeah. kicked everybody because they, they ran a race that he could win. If yeah. they had gone out really fast, he probably wouldn't won. Like, he would, he's not the not that runner. Huh. And so I think that's kind of like what we think about in bike yeah. races. Like, the absolute time or speed doesn't matter. It just matters, is this the type of race that it's advantageous for me to win, right? And like, so the slower speed works for me, and then I'm gonna you know, I have a strong yeah. kick, and that's gonna be maybe I'm major. maybe I'm oversimplifying my view of these other races as well. Um, no, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, right? It's, it's who crosses the line first, and I think there's there's a strategy, right? Like, there's probably somebody at Paris Roubaix who really wanted a fast race, and it wasn't a fast race, and it didn't work out for them, right? And there's somebody at Perry Roubaix who would really prefer that it would come onto the track as a group of six or a group of eight, right? Because they yeah. felt they'd they feel better. They can have a bigger group. Right, versus, yeah. a, versus two or three. It's just a, yeah, it's just a function of what makes, what you're strong in doing. And then hope, you know, you're, you're obviously in that race trying to make it happen as much as you can to fit what you can do, right? Yeah. Right, I think like look at quick step, right? Well, they, hopefully you get you have teammates who right can help to, can help yeah. you execute on that strategy. Like right, look at quick step. They have they they have many different strategies they can execute on uh, in, in these classic races. They have many different very talented riders that can win these different ways. Yeah. So they get to try to dictate that race so that someone can win. Yeah, they either someone are get like to that point to. Um, have their strength be useful. Yeah, there it's, um, I mean, what Quickstep is doing is so incredible because they almost, their goal is almost to like have more numbers than everyone else at the end. Uh-huh. Um, how do we maximize the number of people who could win? And then uh, they almost execute all of those different, you know, potential winning moves all at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, and like, you know, Joe Bear sitting on Niels Paulet while Eve Lampere catches on. It's like, you have to ride because my teammate's going to come up and, mm-hmm. and just bike away from us. So do you want my teammate to win or do you want me to win? Right. <laughs> you right. Know? Do you, do you, what, what do you like? Do you like two on one or, you yeah. know, right? And, um, and, and so like, you know, they're using their numbers and they're using these simultaneous, um, 
you know, I could win this way or I could win this way and leveraging that uh -huh. um, to force one of those two. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's just an incredible, incredible yeah. advantage, incredible strategy. And that they've been able to execute it so many times this spring. Yeah, and it's last successful. spring too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's truly amazing. Right? You just think bad luck would creep in here or there, right? Or yeah. someone else would figure it out. But yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they've been really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, someone else could figure out how to also get five riders in the in the last group. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that was an amazing. That was an amazing race. Yeah. Cool. I think well, that's nothing. Think that's no, nothing else this nothing week. Has... What do you mean? Unless you have any brilliant, um, brilliant thoughts here to. No, this is uh, just bike racing. You should uh, ride on the track. Do your try the track day. That's my last thing. I, I think that's totally fair. Obviously, I have to put in a plug for mountain biking at some point. Um, but no, I, I think I totally respect track riding. That's a it's a very it's a very unique experience to be on the track. And uh, we're lucky here to be close and have the Belgium close by. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly I should probably actually do it more and take advantage of it more. Yeah. Uh, than I do. It's it, it is uh, a bit of a tough after work thing though, um, based on the location. But um, the the only other thing I could think of is that velodromes are more conducive to youth sports, mm. um, and so if we want to develop the next group of road racers or mountain bikers or whatever, um, it's a lot easier to say we have practice at the velodrome than mm -hmm. we have practice in this parking lot. Right, um, for sure. So. Yeah, I think uh, as a parent, I can totally appreciate like it's like it's like saying like go to the soccer field, right? Or yeah, go or the basketball the swim, court, or this yeah, no, right, the, the swimming pool or whatever. Yeah. It's because like yeah, I meet me here. We're gonna go for a ride some somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So cool. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a good uh, week. Keep yeah, the Riverside right. down. All the usual. Yeah, we'll be back soon with episode seven. All right. Bye.